Welcome everyone to the Flow Show. This is episode 194. We got the man, the myth, Ben Heath from the UK, superstar. He is going to be talking with us today. This is going to be a very fun day to get to know him better. And he was just on the GG Million commentary as well. So hope you guys got to check that out. And of course, this is brought to you by Club GG, where you can create clubs for free, play with your friends, win hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes each month. So with that being said, Ben, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to it. It's it's great to have you. And again, we got to talk at the at the GG Million, so got a little bit of um, a little bit little bit of an idea of what's going on in your world. But for those that don't know you, tell us. I always like to say, give us your life summary in a, in a couple of minutes here. How did you get into poker? Where do you come from? And and then I'll, I got a lot of questions. So just give me a brief uh, intro on yourself, please. Um, I'm from Brighton, UK. Uh, I got into poker like quite slowly, um, just like playing small games uh, when I was at you know college, university with friends. Started to play a little more during university, during like the end years, but had like a lot of hours that needed for my course at university, so could never do too much. And then, kind of just like straight after university, tried to do that as the first, you know job rather before like going the standard nine to five route i thought i would like try it out now that i had some more hours to put in so yeah did that um and then had i guess three to four years of playing a bunch of stuff like live cash online cash live tournaments online tournaments um until now really like the last four or five years pretty much playing only live tournaments um and a lot smaller schedule yeah, and, and you, Brighton, you mentioned, I know James Dempsey from there. Did you know James growing up? Or I guess you're a little, you're younger. Wait, how old are you? 30, you're 30? 31. 31, okay. So James, yeah, he's a little closer to my age. But you know of him, right? In, in poker, and he's from, I believe, Brighton, and that's who you yeah. support. Is that who you support club-wise? Is that, are you a Brighton fan? Are you big into football or not a not a huge fan? Not, not a huge into football. Uh, if, yeah, I guess Brighton would be if I had to. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I know they're doing pretty well. They've had a couple good years here in, in the premiership, but uh, poker, more, more interested in, in, in poker, your, your journey, where did you get your first break? I see you played a $10, I believe your first ever hen and mob score. If I'm not mistaken, I saw it was a, a final table. It was a $10 tournament that didn't know they even, they registered those, but you did get six. Like, do you remember that? Is this, is this actually your first time ever playing live or you played a bit before? So, the the fact this isn't actually it's actually not me oh okay all right i've i i messaged years ago like to hand in to say that's not actually me my first one is the one above that okay. uh i've i'm actually like never been to newcastle either but uh it's funny that's just always been there that um, is so this is your first time playing live and it was in in san san remo that was my first tournament stop. Yeah, like I'd played live cash in London, um, but that was my first actual tournament stop was San Remo. Yeah. And and what what did your family friends think about poker? And was it just something that was like a hobby that they didn't really pay much mind to, or were you like, hey, I'm going to go professional and 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 please support me? And and did they? Um, I guess some different opinions. My a lot of my friends from you know college I kind of play poker with, so they were pretty open to it. Um, 
my parents were always very supportive of it, but were just a bit kind of, I guess, looking out for whether I just did it for, you know, four or five years with no end in sight and no progression. So mm -hmm. after university, I kind of said to them that, you know, I'm going to try it for two years. And if it's, if after two years, I'm like making enough per year to cover my own lifestyle and like pay my own way, then I'll continue. And if not, I'll, you know, go the kind of more traditional route and try and do something with my university degree. Um, so yeah, but they were like very supportive within that. They just like, once I was trying that, they were kind of fully supportive of that two years, not really very many, uh, reservations about it. And, and early on, did you, were, did you ever have, uh, any, you know, how, how tough was it for you to break in? I see that you had a pretty good score here early on, right? You got a first place. You're at the, you're in Malta. You know, it's nice to win a tournament and uh, EPT. It's a one K, but it, it was a decent score. And you had been playing online already. Were you playing a lot online at this time? Yeah. I mean, I, I think at this time I was just playing all the time because I, I was splitting time between playing live cash in London. Um, online cash like was playing zoom and then was playing tournaments kind of saturday and sundays online and then was traveling to some of these stops so at the time I was just playing pretty much every day of the week but mixing formats a lot which looking back was a lot harder i think in terms of now i just focus on you know yeah. a specific structure and it's quite easy to have like progression in that and know what you're aiming for within that structure. Whereas back then it was just like play like, you know, online tournaments on Sunday and then Monday would just like go down to the Vic and play one, two live cash. So there's a lot of like back and forth and a little harder to know. Yeah. Like how good the progression was, I guess. And, and did you, at this time, were you doing a lot of studying because the solvers weren't really a thing or prevalent at this time early on like what was how are you getting better at poker what what were the ways you were improving your game um yeah i mean the, like i guess they've been around for a while now but forget you know looking back that just we didn't have these solvers at that point uh they're still a few years out um so a lot of it was uh i was spending a lot of time with charlie carroll who was yep. playing higher stakes than me already um so a lot of it was just like talking hands with him um, talking hands with a couple of other people and then just playing all the time. I think it was that, you know, there wasn't this thing these days of looking at your hours playing versus hours studying. There was just like play all the time. And then when you're not playing, talk about the hands, think about the hands. But, uh, yeah, it was a little tougher to have set study time in those days, I think. Yeah. And you're, you, pride yourself now live is it what was the shift for you why did what 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 made you decide to go primarily live than online because online i think during covid was obviously very popular you know that was sort of the, the only option and now you know you have such great results and we can talk about triton and some of the other success that you've had and live but is it just do you prefer the live fully now like what percent are you playing live and online is it literally like 95 5 or 100 0 what is your 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 uh, um, break up with live and online now, I think it's very close to a hundred zero. Um, well, I 
play some online sometimes. Um, sometimes just as like a kind of hobby thing. Like if I'm, you know, I've played a couple of sessions of Zoom over the last few years where I just, you know, miss that playing online thing of being able to get a, a few thousand hands in a session. But uh, actual like serious playing MTTs is, yeah, it's pretty much 100-0 at this point. I, I think a lot of it was... It got pretty tiring at one point. Obviously, there were just so many live games all the time. You could just, you know, I think there was one point where I could just travel eight months a year just playing tournaments if I wanted. So you didn't, I didn't really need to play online. And then I really just didn't like the schedule in the UK of, you know, tournaments meant playing till four in the morning often. Yep. And I was just gradually kind of heard started liking the schedule of going uh especially you know once we had solvers and this easier to kind of have dedicated study time um you know and a lot of the live stops you actually are playing normal hours and i just kind of graduated towards really liking that just when i was back home in brighton being able to wake up at a reasonable time have like hobbies and see friends yeah and study and then be working properly like really hard hours when i'm traveling um i think the the grinding got a little tougher to to do that because it's just you're playing till like 4 30 in the morning on sunday and then it just destroys your sleep schedule the whole week so i think a lot of it was that yeah makes makes a ton of sense was there a breakout moment for you was there a turning point where you were still kind of like ah, i might do this i might not is there a score or a moment that stands out for you in your career where you were maybe having doubts about what you were doing and then you just were were set it, it was clear it was clarity moment where you're like all right this is what i'm going to stick in and do it uh i, I would actually say no I, I think that i felt like it was going pretty well at the start um in terms of you know there were a lot of ups and downs with the bankroll and like a few times where i kind of built a small role and then just played higher and took big pieces and lost it but mm -hmm. progression-wise in poker, I felt like I was getting better relatively quickly and felt relatively confident. Um, you know, with tournaments, at least I was felt like I was progressing, but it's hugely swingy. So you can never, it's hard to know whether you can do it or not. But just like progression at cash games that I felt, you know, you can play Zoom and kind of actually earn a steady income. Yeah, uh, I felt pretty early quite confident I would be able to do it in some form if I just like worked very hard at it. So I don't think I had the big scores are kind of just these, you know, huge moments of variance. So I don't think I had one was like, oh, I can definitely do it now. It was more, it was more just like the steady progression, just getting more and more confident that I could do it long term if I wanted to. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was looking back, I was kind of scanning through your, your hand. I do remember this was. Back in the day, we played. I think you actually might have. If you, I don't know if this all blends together. Remember, but I, this was a, the really sweet tournament back then. The twenty-five k was one of the biggest ones yeah. where they get one hundred and seventy-three. I think I vaguely remember shoving like ace three of hearts. I think you had kings, if I'm not mistaken. But that was like one of the first times we got to play, and that was that was cool. It was a big tournament. I think this is one where Sean Winter had like half of his stack, and he bet Pimex right during that thing where he like he cashed in like a million for twelve five. Or something he bet like do you, do you remember the story where he was at the cage and timex was paying him out and like he won an extra 900k or something i think when he was booking 
I, I mean, I remember, I didn't remember that specific thing. I do remember the days and the stories like of playing because I was just coming up then and thought it was absurd that people were doing that with Timex. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I do, I do remember that tournament. I was also friends with, uh, Grady at the time and he got, he was deep too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was fun though. That, that was the, that was the, now they got these 25 Ks yearly, right? Where there's 500 entries or crazy stuff yeah. like the one in, uh, GG just did in the Bahamas where, that was that was sweet. It was like a thirteen million dollar prize pool, pretty pretty crazy. And there's been some other big ones as well. well. Yeah, looking looking here at Cizik, you have some good success. You have a couple hundred K scores, and then talking about this Aussie million. I remember watching this on TV. I believe this is the one where the amateur is. This the guy that had ne- he played his first ever tournament or something, and then you got a heads up, and it was a massive score. But or maybe it's a different guy. Yes, yeah. it is. Oh yeah, this guy. No, it it is. Is. Yeah, it is. What was? What was that like? I mean, because this guy, let's see if he's even played. Oh, it looks like he has gone on to become, uh, yeah, it was his first ever, literally, I think his first tournament, not even first cash, but this guy, I mean, an absolutely ridiculous story. So he's played a bit now, but nothing really, you can see, he still never had a, a six-figure score, and then that was a seven-figure. That's probably one of the wilder stories in poker, that that is actually how that went down. Tell me what that experience was like, and is it kind of crazy thinking about how good you are, how experienced you are? Just maybe a bit of a, a show how variance works, right? Like you're probably going to beat him most of the time. Uh, I don't know how deep that was, or maybe you had a lot of chips when you guys went heads up. But tell me about that tournament and this uh, this 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 heads up match. Uh, yeah, I mean the tournament was absurd. It's like already. I, I can't remember exactly. It was 2017. I think I went straight from. Uh, I think I went from PCA. Maybe you can see on the, did I have yeah. PCA? Yeah, literally days later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it was something like, yeah, I got, I played that 10K, the super turbo thing in, in Bahamas on the 14th. And then I think I left on the 15th, uh, you know, and then you get there so, and it's just such a long journey. It's just going from like Bahamas to LA flying all the way around the world. Yeah. Uh, really jet lagged and then just like get there and entering straight away and then suddenly playing this kind of i think it was six or seven days long um and at the time they actually had they had this thing where it was like i can't remember it was whether it was uh like six or seven total days but after the final day you had a day off before the final table after the like the ultimate day okay and i remember that being just even worse than no days off because i was just like so stressed out about the final table and just so much kind of anxious and excitement that it didn't even feel like a rest day. I still just got like three or four hours sleep. Wow. And then was just like wandering around Melbourne. So remember being incredibly tired, like going into the final table. And what Um, what was, what was your stack? Like, do you remember, like, were you middle of the pack? Were you short? Where were you when you started that final table? I was in second behind that guy. He he had oh, like wow. a massive chip lead, I think. Um, okay. Because I, I remember at the time, like my, I think my equity, like my personal equity in the stack, because, you know, at the time it was kind of the, we had the approach of take, have like a reasonable bankroll management approach for a lot of normal mm-hmm. tournaments. And then I would just shot take every main at every stop. Mm-hmm. Because, it just was like, why not? Like, they can't go that badly. A lot of them were freeze outs or single re entry. It's just like, yeah, just fire in these and yeah. see what happens. So, uh, yeah, that I think was a big thing for me in terms of the amount of uh, 
my like net worth at the time that was in my final table stack was like kind of outrageous. Well, it, it it says unknown player in third from Germany, so I'm not sure if if you knew who that was or if that's just like I guess they're off the Hennen mob now or whatever. But um, do, do you remember who that was by any chance? Can you, can you show me the? Yeah. Just says unknown. Yeah, I um, trying to think who. Either way, I mean, uh, the, the guys here, like Corey Aldemar, obviously won the main. Mustafa Kinnett, great player. Seth Davies, great player. So, like, these guys go out. I don't recognize these guys, like, local Australians. This guy I've heard. Jeff Rosser, I know, good player. Obviously, this guy's an yeah. unknown. Never played before. Has a Chipley and Fedor. World class. One of the best is there. But, you know, how, how did you feel at that final table? Like, was it? Because this is a big score. You've had, I see, some 100K, right? 140, 120, 100, whatever. This is a million... 1.2 to first what were what, how, how was this in terms of a moment for you i mean you real recognize the opportunity right this is a big chance because especially it's not 100k or 25k or 250k the, the amount of buy-ins and the the uh the opportunity here is massive and you said you were a bit stressed out i mean just realizing these don't come all the time these opportunities i, I think just stressed out not even through anything not about anything specific like mentally thinking oh this is a lot of money just stressed out because i think your your body is just it's like a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. Six or seven days. Yeah. yeah. It's better than tough jet lag too. To to literally fly in, yeah. go right into it, now play six days. And yeah, exactly. Now it's like, all right, it's a million point two up top from a 10K buy-in and I'm exhausted. But you kind of just like, yeah, dig in one more day and and get through it. Well, tell me about the heads up match. What was how many big blinds was it about when you guys started? Do, do you remember like how was it? Did he have a huge lead or was it close? He had he had quite a big lead, I think, and I don't think it was that long. Um I think I can't. We're trying to remember the exact. Like I, we didn't play for that long. Heads up, uh, there was actually there was a hand that Doug went over on his YouTube. I think at one point where I basically just like bluffed it off quite early in the heads up match. I think I, I can't remember exactly. I might be wrong, but I think I had like three to three or four to one chip deficit going into okay. the heads up. Um, and then I think that that hand was like quite soon in the final table and was for everything and yeah uh, like quite soon into that looking back what you know now and the player you are now and obviously this is a long time ago and you obviously are a great player then even to, to do this and to be to kind of have these type of results you're already winning some tournaments would you have approached the strategy different with this player and there's no deal making at this stage or was it? i mean because it's it's a huge first and second this is like 450k. It's 45 buy-ins, and this guy's never played a live tournament. He must have been freaking out, right? He must have been having the time of his life. I think it was, yeah. I think it was actually 60 buy-ins. I think because I think it was 10 Aussie dollars. Oh, okay, okay. So it wow. was like it, it was a massive, yeah. Um, like in Australian dollars, it was like one right. million per second and 1.6 for first. So it's like you know these big like 60 percent pay jumps. You're right. Yeah, 60 buy-ins. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. These payouts are wild. This is old school payouts. They don't do it quite like this, but this is like ridiculous spread. So, like, I mean, yeah. what, what, what was it? What was that? Like, was he friendly? Were you guys talking? Was he just like in a like? Was he like just having the time of his life, or was he kind of like serious? I forget. I feel like this guy. I remember this vaguely watching some of this. He just seemed like a happy go lucky guy that was having the time of his life. Maybe I'm mistaken. But was it like? Was he trying to talk the whole time and have fun, or was he like playing like really intensely? He was playing like pretty serious. Like he was trying to play well. Uh, I, I I think there was a difference in like when 
because I played with him quite a lot on day, you know, like the two penultimate days before the final table. Um, and he was playing a lot more like aggro slashy. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, enjoying himself, kind of trying to own people. And I do remember there being like a slight shift when we got to the final table and thinking that maybe like in his day off, he was like, oh, actually, this is a lot. And I have the chip lead. Like, I just yeah. need to get top three. Um, so I think he, but then once we got to the final two, I think it went back a little in terms of, I, we didn't even talk about a deal. You were allowed to, but I think I was kind of thinking, well, it's already an insane score for me. And he's not a professional. I don't really want to do a deal like for even. Right. Or I got, you know, a chip value. And he didn't offer anything or talk about it. And I don't think he would have really wanted to either. Cause he's like, well, I've already locked up an insane amount of money that's like life changing for me. You know, at the time, you're just like, oh, we can just gamble for the rest. Maybe in a few weeks, yeah. you would look back and think, oh, actually, that was, I would never just sit down at 450K heads up match. But, he also yeah. had a huge lead, I think, and like the final table had gone very well for him, where he just kept his lead throughout the whole thing, um, yeah. and then was going in with a big lead. And I think a lot of people just don't want to deal then. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, that, that, that's that's cool though. That was that's got to be. I mean, that had it was that the most fun at the time, right? It's such a big score. It's televised. It's production. It's in Australia, like where your friends, family, everyone's going. I mean, this is this was your largest score by far, right? One hundred forty k live was biggest yeah. online. Maybe you have some decent wins and stuff but this was a big moment how did this how did this change your trajectory your career and and what after this happened what was sort of um how did you did you sort of recalibrate your bankroll did, did this sort of like give you a new a uh, new stratosphere of opportunity that you thought about and and start playing like higher buy-ins or were you still sort of you know just just taking it easy and, and not getting too crazy like what, what was this moment for you what did this do for you in your career um, th i think it was like nice security wise in terms of i put some of the money away into stuff outside of poker um but i did also then start to like gradually try and play higher which was the aim all along you know i think these things are while those scores are very big and mean a lot of the time um you're still kind of looking at it from a long-term point of view in terms of if you do really well at poker you would hopefully get to a point where, you know, you're, um, you're like earning enough to put money away for poker every year. And yeah. that score hopefully will, you know, not be the only score you have. So, and that was like the long-term view for me. So I think I still remember being quite focused on moving up quickly and that made it a little easier too. And it was also nice to actually have some kind of savings outside of poker for the first time because it, you know until then i'd just been kind of fully putting my role into you know just regularly losing kind of 20 to 60 percent of my role at uh, single stops right um so it was like really gambling at the beginning so it's quite nice to not have to do that and be able to put something out of poker but i don't think it changed the trajectory too much because i think before that i was already trying to play some of the higher stuff so it made it a little easier because just makes it like selling action and stuff a little easier um right you know when people when you're like slightly better known and but uh but yeah it was kind of just still on the same path i think do you ever sell on any of the sites like have you used state kings or anything or like a put up action i mean i'm sure now it's super easy you have your own kind of crew and 
sell action if you need to and in, in big events but do you, do you do any of that or do you mostly just do within friends and swaps and stuff if you ever do trade action or sell i think i tried to once but uh I, i'm always a little unsure in terms of for the i think there's a lot of high roll games where you know you're not making that much mm-hmm. um, even if you're doing well as say you're making 10 percent and you want to split that with the investor and charge five percent you know i haven't looked for a while but originally when i was when i was kind of offered by a site i can't remember who at the time um to be on it they were taking like a five percent fee or something from the investor yeah. i'm like well if i'm selling at five percent and you're taking five from them they're not making anything which didn't feel right yeah it's tough then, to you know, then you have to disclose like oh this is just for fun you're not actually making anything right uh, yeah that that's that's a tougher conversation also like so you seem you are a bit you've been quieter in general right you're not you wouldn't consider yourself like a super out you're not on social media much you, you post very little on twitter or disc or on um instagram you're not like actively posting or doing a ton there so it's like not really about you know it, it's also more complicated to deal with more people so i'm sure like you said you have a couple you have a tight group you know if you ever need to sell you have people that are willing to buy and easy to buy so it's got to be that's nice right simple you don't have to like deal with a lot of people and 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 it's just straightforward i'm sure now you uh you probably just keep taking more and more action as you have just been vacuuming out the money in poker. You've been on quite a quite a heater. And I do want to talk about 2019. You get, this year, you sort of break out, it feels like. I'm looking at your stuff. You know, you come in the year, get a nice score, fourth place in a, in a 50K. It's a decent return. And then all of a sudden, you win this 50K at the World Series versus Lucky Chewy and a very tough final table. Household names across the board there. What, what was that like to take this down in your first first bracelet? Yeah, I mean, I remember the so the end of 2018 was not going very well. Um, I ended up losing a bunch playing very frequently and just like playing slightly higher and the higher end of the buy-ins didn't go that well, which is kind of natural, you know, at the time. it can, You don't know, you can feel like, oh, I'm moving up and it's tough, but, you know, it can also just be it's 20 tournaments and you, you just don't really know. So there's that uncertainty there. Yeah. But. I wasn't confident enough at all to be like, oh no, it's just variant. So it's just like, maybe I'm just not good enough to play this. Yeah. So I, th- I think you could actually see on the, on the Hendon, I didn't play from like February to, I didn't play after PCA until, um, Monaco, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. In 2019 there. Uh, yeah. so, so I think like I played PCA came home and then i just didn't play any live poker until monaco um and at this point was when we had solvers but was still quite recent and i kind of spent i would say two and a half months at home just like uh cycling having a kind of i think i really barely played online at all and just studying for those two and a half months so it felt very good in terms of again it's just you know, it's not like it's directly related and obviously there's just a huge amount of variance coming back and having those results, but it felt right. good at the time in terms of to be down swinging, take a break, have like two and a half months of just solid study. I would think I was just doing like six days a week studying and then at home um, and not really playing, uh, when, you know, obviously you'd like rather be playing a lot sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it was quite nice to come back and then just like run absurdly well straight off that. 
yeah, and then get the get the bracelet. And how about playing Chewy heads up for a bracelet? What was that like? Because a huge score, one point four million, big big difference for a second, of course, to get the bracelet, get that off your, you know, off the back to just get that cleared up. How how was that final table, and how did that heads up go? Uh, the yeah, again, same same thing. I think that um, whenever I look back at those results compared to like, I think I've got a lot better at it now, but. I remember at the time as well, that was a four-day tournament, I think. And I remember just not sleeping well before the final. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final went, I think it was like, I think I went in as chip leader, but narrowly. And then I just got in like quite a big slip against Nick Petrangelo early on. Um, and then and then there was like the absurd thing with Silverwood, and if you remember that, Kind of, uh, kind of. I remember the, something about a World Series was, race. But, yeah, it was like I, I. It was like uh, Sovereign opens, cut off. Yourself shoves the button, and I'm tanking in the big blind, and I throw out a time extension where the time they look like they were like cards, like plaques. Okay, and Sovereign folds. Thinking I'd fold it. Um, oh, yeah, I do. I do remember this vaguely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you end up calling. I ended up calling, and um, so that was like an absurd hand. It was quite stressful, obviously, because uh, you you don't really know what's happened where you're. It, you know, it's just like there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money. Eurosov is obviously fuming, and kind of really unlucky spot for him. Um, what, what, what was your hand? What was like a marginal hand? You would have folded if he was behind, basically. Most likely, it was like a, you had a close spot. Well, I, I mean, I had used the time bank, so I wasn't really in. I, I was like in this middle bit. It was four-handed, where it goes like cut off opens. He shot for like nineteen on the bottom. I had ace queen suited in the big. Oh, okay. I can't remember the exact stack distribution, so right. it was like. Very, I, I mean, I probably wasn't folding, but uh, right. it was right. it's pretty close. Um, what what was his thinking, name? What do you have, like sixes or something? Or he had ace ten off, I think. Okay, All so right. it was like yeah. Um, yeah. so we had, we had that, which is obviously hugely stressful, and you can't even, you can't even like process very well when you're that tired and trying to think about the game. You're just like I don't know what just happened, uh, and then and then he was out, and then several lasted like. I think I bust over a few hands later, and then Chewy and I, the heads up, lasted like four hands or something, like not four, maybe like ten hands. Wow! Um, and I'm friends with Chewy, so it's like kind of, uh, yeah, that like bittersweet thing. It's like yeah. nice to yeah. nice to play with friends, but you could, you know, you feel bad as well. I know that, like, yeah, you know what it's like to be on the other end of it. So you don't want to yeah. be there. Still, still a lot of money. Everyone's pretty happy. Yeah, yeah, pretty happy, pretty happy result. But of course, that is the weird thing about tournaments. And to, in general, it's like, yeah, there's only one actual winner, even though a lot of times top three or four, even a final table feels feels good. But it's one of those things. I don't want to spend the whole podcast on poker and like your specific events, but there are some pretty cool moments here. And you, you know, running up really and coming a little later. You're not like from 2003 or four, right? Starting poker, you came on later. You've had a lot of success recently. And then there's also, I just want to t- cover one event here at the, the Triton where you... You know, this is big money, three million up top. I remember actually, I believe I was commentating on this one in London. This is during the one million one drop. 
and they had the 100K as well, the main event where you got third. Pretty crazy. Y King Young almost went back to back winning the main uh, short deck and yeah. And uh, I think he got second and first he, and versus uh, Bonomo, and he was actually all on twice to win it. But anyway, pretty cool. Paul Foy, Paul Foy, great, you know, the the creator, one of the founders of Triton, getting battling there and, and, and big money here and a 1.6 million score. And in the UK, right, friends, family, people are, you know, available around. What was that like to play in Triton with such an amazing production and, and hit this score and be there and your kind of home turf? What, what was that experience like? Yeah, I mean, it was very nice. It's- really close to where i came up playing cash like the casino i first started playing live cash in was kind of a 10 15 minute walk from that casino yeah um so nice to be back and you know obviously feel a bit more comfortable just being in home country where you know i know the city well um Mm -hmm. and that was like you know just starting to play triton so i hadn't really had that experience as well where such a just like such a nicely run event yeah Um, yeah, it was like a very exciting main. If I mean, those mains are quite nice as well because they are a little quicker, I guess. You don't have this like hugely tiring thing of it being six days. You know, the main was two or three days. Um, but yeah, that that was, I remember that event. It was a lot of fun. And and what's it like to play 100K or 250K, these type of buy-ins? And I think, have you played the million? You, you did play the million or you have you played you played the 200k i know multiple times in 250s have, what's the biggest buy-in you played uh, i guess i think 250 so it was it was going to be my first million this like a few weeks ago in yeah for the one drop uh, and then ended up not being able to play because of the main event run oh okay uh, oh yeah so that's so, uh, that's another one then I, yeah we got you got you got a lot of scores. We can't go through them all. That's for sure. That would be the whole podcast, just talking about final tables and, and heads up. But yeah, the Triton. Give me a little bit of your thoughts on Triton. And, and this year, there's four stops. And it, uh, do you go to every one? Is that ones you just won't miss? And do you just enjoy those? Uh, tell me about the Triton experience and, and what you think of that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, for me, it's just my favorite poker experience. The, yeah. way, the way they do it is just really good. Um yeah everything is is very good um and yeah i I just don't miss them uh there's four this year we don't know you know exactly where they're all going to be yet but the i booked my hotel and flights you know like two or three days ago for for jeju in march um which i'm excited because that was one of the kind of original ones that you know i've heard people that's one they've done a couple of times before um and I think in 2021, maybe, or 2020, I booked to go. And then with all the COVID stuff, like we had, you know, kind of going back and forth of these trips being canceled. Um, so I've still never been. Um, so yeah, I go to that one. And then pretty much just, uh, I mean, yeah, the only tough thing is that I, I don't miss them, but they do release their schedule quite late, as I'm sure you, you know, you know, you come to them. We don't always know where we're going up until, so it makes like planning the year a little trickier. Yeah, um, than it used to be. Like you know, EBT schedules are out. Like you know where you're going in January for like that December. Um, but, but yeah, I, I just don't miss them. They're just like um, the games are good. The games are big. The games are a lot of fun. Yeah, um, they're like really nice schedules in terms of they're mostly playing from between one p.m. to four p.m. start, depending on the game and 
the you know whether it's day one or two, mm-hmm. and then you're often kind of playing till eleven to one a.m. eleven p.m. to one a.m. So just in that sense as well, they're just not a very brutal trip. It's not like World Series where you're just getting kind of ground down by these like eleven a.m. start, but you might play till two a.m. and then. Um, so, yeah, I just they're kind of one of the those I guess along with like EBT Monaco are the ones I don't really miss. Yeah, makes 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 exact perfect sense. I mean, those are I think again not the. That's that's one of the stops you just don't want to miss. They really do do a great job. Andy and Paul and everyone there, they really Kate, they they're so hospitable. They do they they really do think of all the details and make it really enjoyable to go. Huge uh, huge train advocate. And what about PLO? I see you do have some PLO results. Do you are you playing PLO now? Do you play any mixed games? Do you play short deck any other games or um, I don't. I mean, I've played PLO kind of fun over the years a little. Um I I really like it. Um, not not I, one year. At the moment, yeah. at the moment yeah. I'm just like so much focus on Holdem and then, you know, have a couple of things. I, you know, hobbies and stuff outside of poker and I just don't feel like I have the time to, I, I'm quite competitive i guess so i feel like if i wanted to play plo i would want to get really good at it i just don't feel like i have the time for that so i've played some you know i've played a few events over the years but nothing nothing too much and not playing short deck either which is a shame now i mean it never used to bother me that much like world series there's a bunch of make stuff but there's so much hold and it doesn't matter now it's always a little a little kind of sad to have to leave you know, the Tritons do this three or four days at the end after the Hold'em is the yeah. other games. Like, so it's always a bit sad to be leaving when other people are still playing poker. Um, but uh, no, not really any plans to to change that for now. For sure. Yeah, it's enough. Hold'em, Hold'em's an intricate enough game, right? Always learning and still still a lot to do and everyone's so tough. And here, another again, we'll just kind of zoom through a couple of scores. This was a big one. 2 million, 3.2 million, Adrian Mateos. Also been on the pod, also world class player and a guy that is definitely solidified as one of the greats in the game. What anything stand out from that? I mean, 33 entries. Do you prefer the 33, 20, 30, 40 person fields, high stakes, high buy-in, or do you like kind of the main event, uh, 10K, you know, 500, a thousand runner type fields? You've had tremendous success in both. Which one would you prefer? And would you say, like, if you had to choose? I generally prefer these, like, the high stuff um these days um i think i'm not actually playing you know that many tournaments a year right now or traveling that much of the year um and a lot of doing you know a lot of studying and time off and i like to play the higher stuff and also i guess these days is i'm close friends and you know, kind of from close friends and then good friends and, you know, even just like a lot of acquaintances and that I enjoy spending time with. And I don't socialize with a lot of these people outside poker because we all live in different places. So yeah. I really like that aspect of like when I go to a Triton, you, you have a lot of, you know, you're not always playing when you're playing live poker, right? And most, most of the time you're just folding and it's actually quite a nice time to be able to kind of catch up with some of the people you haven't seen. And yeah socialize a bit when sometimes I can be not very social when I'm at home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's something that you kind of lose in the main sometimes because sometimes you sit in a main and you're like, oh, I don't know anyone at my table and I'm quite shy. So I'm just like, okay, I just don't talk, I guess. Like, I yeah, just, like, have my head for me. So I think both of those aspects now ended up just, uh, you know, kind of enjoying these small 50 person fields. Right. And, and do you, would you say you're recognized amongst the community now when you go play these 5k 10k main events like at the win you just have this ridiculous run in one of the record setting fields and in, in, a, in a 10k and you get what fifth or sixth or i forget you what, what place did you get the final the wind of fifth so fifth when you're there and you're in it and you're on day one day two in these huge fields are you do people do you do, do you feel they recognize you do they come say something to you do you do, are you kind of um because again, you're not very prevalent on social media, but you have maybe one of the more impressive resumes in the game now with over 20 million in lifetime earnings, basically number two on the, the UK all-time money list. I think just basically tied with Trickett, who hasn't really been playing tournaments, right? But do, do you feel that people, res- that obviously the, the, the top professionals know you and respect you, but do you feel respect and are people recognizing you that are you know in, in just kind of a random field? Do you, do you get come up to and talk to? Okay. I come up to do a huge amount. Sometimes it was definitely more after the the most I've ever had it was just after that bracelet win because mm. the bracelets people like especially Americans just care so much about the bracelets. Yeah, and like the few days after that and the rest of that series was the most I've had of that. Right, um, but it's been gradually like gradually more and more these days. You know, like sometimes rarely off the poker table too, just in like you know couple of times in brighton and other places yeah but, I would, uh, i'd say what about brighton you're at a pub you're out there at a gro- at the grocery store around like are people coming up to you are they know is it like are they do they kind of know of you and poker has that become a thing where you say you'd be recognized I think, I think it's very like not very common maybe it's happened like seven to eight times total um, right okay and then I, I think like in the poker like when you're saying in these mains it's hard to tell because a lot of people don't say anything but i right. think these days the what's happened is that the tritons are all streamed cards up and they're a very good place for learning because you get mm-hmm. to watch high stakes players playing their actual strategy without holding anything back because they mm-hmm. can't really hold anything back because it's such high stakes so i think that what's happening now is a lot of people who are trying to improve a poker watching the tritons so i think like i noticed it's a little more these days just because i think even if people don't um, don't follow poker or follow social media. It doesn't need me posting on Instagram for them to just be aware that, like, you know, if they watch the Triton streams, yeah, the Triton streaming day ones, day twos, it's not just final. So you're kind of always on these Triton streams because they they stream every day too, and you're in a day, you're in the day twos like thirty percent of the time you make it to the day two, and you know there's like twelve days, so you're actually on stream quite often. So I, I think it's like a little more since then you know that people are involved um certainly pros i think kind of recognize a lot of the triton players more right um and and what tell me about downswings or high stakes and again it's tricky right because the hendon mob oh you've won 21 million but how much is buy-ins right these type of conversations because there are stretches although you do have a lot of results but there's definitely you know here even alone like oh 50 60 200 250 125 60 what do yeah you, i got you, i got completely like i that trip was quite tough to land in one because i got i had like the if you look at the bottom there was like the first events uh 
I I think I was I had like chip needle close to it um in those in those two first events and got like twelfth and twelfth. Mm-hmm. And you can really feel it. Like I'd already been down swinging a bit before that. And you can feel it in those things where there's just so much variance where you can have 10x starting stack and think, okay, I've built up like in this 40k, I've built up 400k of equity getting 10x starting stack. But suddenly it's only 40 bigs. And now like you could have won 10 flips or, you know, however you could just like been running well all day. Yeah. And then suddenly you have 40 bigs, you lose one and like, oh, you now got one buy it back. And they're pretty stressful because you can just feel how, you know, I, I've like seen a lot of simulations for variants of these things. And it's really crazy how I think a lot of people don't know how you can just, even if you're a top reg in these games, you can just get crushed for a while. That's like, especially if you're not playing huge volume. So it's definitely stressful when you're downswinging because there's none of that, like, you know, if you're playing online cash and you're downswinging, but you are very confident in your, your game, you can fall back on this thing of like, it's going to turn around. Whereas in these games, you can't as much. Like you might just get crushed for like three or four years and you just have to take it. So it's right. definitely, and like you said, like the buy-ins, you know, I've had that sometimes where people have come up to me and said, oh, like, you know, congrats. It looks like you've had a crazy six months. And I'm like, I'm down a lot in the last six months. Like, you, ha- you know, you have to be cashing these things regularly for a large amount because the Tritons you're just in for like 800K every trip. So, you know, you have, I think that happened to me in Cyprus where I came second in a 50K to 500 or something in one of the Tritons. Mm-hmm. And someone like congratulated me on the trip after. And I was like, I lost a bunch. I was in for like 850 and I cashed one for 500. It's like, you have yeah. to be regularly getting the top three. Otherwise you're just losing. Yeah, it's, it is, it is intense. I think that is also one of the, the, the problems or, well, I shouldn't say a problem, but the misconceptions that people don't really understand, or it's also, especially when there's rebuys and these big buy in 10 minutes, you see a score and it's like not necessarily yes. uh, intuitive, like how much you're in. So that is interesting. Do you, had, did you ever, since you really broke out, let's call it 2017, 16, was there ever a period where you were like, wow, I may actually stop or I, this is too crazy. And have you had some mental different, difficult times that you've had to work through, or has it been pretty smooth for the, for the majority since you got you know, acclimated to the top high stakes. I would say not looking to stop that period. I spoke about before at the end of 2018 was tough. Yeah. And I, you know, kind of made me take a few months to just go and study. Um, I think I was, you know, it wasn't anything ridiculous. It was like, I lost 40 buy-ins, but you know, in live tournaments and still playing, I wasn't playing like the super small fields. So it's kind of like completely normal But when you're suddenly playing way higher buyers than you're used to, you're like, oh, that's quite a lot of money. And yeah, so that was like a tougher time. And then, yeah, the last few years have just been insanely swinging. Um, to be honest, like these, these games, like you said, that a lot of this stuff is unlimited re-entry for the Tritons. Yeah. And the game is really good. So you also kind of feel incentivized to gamble. Um, and yeah, there's, there's been some like, you know, very swingy times, but nothing that's generally kind of just made, you know, when these downswings happen, I'm like, okay, just like keep playing and study hard and hope it turns around. But if it doesn't turn around, like that's kind of what you signed up for. Nothing that really makes me want to quit. It's, you know, you know, there's a chance that you just get crushed. That's what you sign up for when you play like high variance live tournaments and low volume. So, yeah, you know, it's a bit like sad at times, but not, oh, I'm going to stop playing. 
how, how do you say, how would you understand or explain to someone about variants? Cause you know, my wife's Brazilian and I love her to death and she's, she's amazing. But like, if I come home and I bust with Kings to ace deuce off and, and for a big pot, she doesn't care. You know, it's all about results, right? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you sort of understand results with like, how would you, I guess, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying, you know, to results oriented is such a thing, right? But for someone who you said you could play on a, you could be a great player and play live and not have success for years. Cause like online, right. You get to play so much more volume, but, uh, but live yeah. there's just like, you don't get to get that volume in. Like how, how would you have a way for someone to be honest with themselves and to really understand if they're running well or, or not. And especially live, cause that is a difficult thing to understand like how your, how the variance is really happening. You know, online you can see charts and graphs and plug in hands and there's some so, so systems to kind of give you an idea. But like live, it doesn't really work that way, right? You just kind of know if you're running bad or not. But how would you say to someone yeah, to, do I mean, to understand that? I think it's very hard. I think one of the kind of important things to do that a lot of people haven't done is there are just variance calculators. You can like plug in the field size, the payout structure, and your expected ROI that you're kind of estimating you have. And then you can it will just run a bunch of outcomes to show you how likely it is that you, you know, win or lose in a five-year period. Um, and I think taking a look at some of those is useful for most people because from people I've spoken to, a lot of people, like the variance is crazy, even with these small fields, you know, the like thousand person fields are just absurd. And mm -hmm. I've spoken to people who do it full-time who, you know, even though they do it and kind of roughly know the numbers, a lot of people still just really underestimate the variance of these things. Um, so I think looking at those for poker players is good. And then I think if you're not in poker, it's like, it can be quite hard to, yeah, really like wrap your head around the, oh, you know, you're good, but you're losing. Um, but I honestly, like, I don't speak that much about the results with people outside of poker. Right. Um, especially since the game's got bigger. Uh, I think it's like not that helpful for me always and kind of stressful yeah. for people, like people that you're yeah. close to that you'd be comfortable talking to. Like, I don't right. know. It, it could be stressful to just suddenly be like, oh, I lost 30 buy-ins, you know, these games. Um, so I'm kind of typically, I guess, when I, when I want to go to someone to talk about is this variance or not, it's typically just like someone else in the games. Right. Um, makes makes perfect that. sense. Makes perfect, perfect sense. I agree completely. It's also kind of a different world, right? To talk to someone who's working nine to five or typically just in general, like if they don't even have any poker acumen, it's sort of difficult to, to really, yeah, they, they, it's like a, it's like a dream world. It's not even real, real life. You're telling me you're going to put like your salary on the line for a year or two on one tournament or whatever. It's, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, and your wife, I got to ask, you met her in Barcelona. Is that correct? Where did you meet her there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, incredibly lucky. Like I usually just play these trips just like straight through and mm -hmm. I kind of like torched off a 25 K there. One of the single days, just like terrible hand was really not happy. I'm not feeling like playing the next day. And was just like, okay, I was living with, I had an apartment with Sam Grafton at the time for that trip and was just like, yeah, you want to you want to go out and get a drink? Like I do not, I'm not playing tomorrow. I'm just going to like go and, you know, have some fun, have a few drinks and just relax and try and forget about this hand. And, uh, 
Joe Stapleton was coming to meet us. Um, he's like, you know, friends with Sam mm-hmm. and his friend, one of his close friends from LA is, uh, a, um, producer in LA and she, her best friend is my wife and they were coming to see Joe because they were in Barcelona for like two days and, um, Joe said he was going to be at the bar. And then, so I, I met her, um, ended up actually like leaving because I think there was still like three or four, I was going to have one day off and they didn't carry on playing. And then, uh, I met my wife in this bar and she was like leaving Barcelona the next day and we kind of hit it off. And I was like, what if I, you know, if she goes like, that's just like, these things always just, they like fizzle out. It's hard when you're traveling, you're in different places. Yeah. So, uh, I ended up just like leaving with her, um, and just not playing the rest of the stop. So ended up being very fortunate because, uh, you know, if I just kind of played that hand, well, I would just never go out drinking on these trips. I'm just, I think that was one of the first times I'd done that in years. So wow. quite fortunate. That's crazy. So yeah, I mean, that, that I, I met my wife at Burning Man walking by in the middle of the, uh, the desert as well with no mutual contacts, friends, and also our first time there. Do you, do you think about, do you think that poker has allowed you to understand or process life better about variance and, and, and fortune? Because, you know, in poker, we, we get these examples so quickly, the bat, ace, king, ace, queen losing or hitting the two outer or the example you just gave, you know, to, to be able to understand kind of the bigger picture in life that do you feel there's a lot of things that you take away from poker that, uh, that allow you to sort of process life in a different way or in a better way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of small things and probably a lot of things that I don't even know about, but the, the one that I really notice is not being annoyed at small things, I guess, just like seeing small things like bad beats where before poker, having something like my laptop breaking would be really stressful. Obviously it's more stress, you know, at the time, cause I'm comparing it to before poker, which is when I was a student. And then like the monetary cost of that was way more stressful. But I also just had the like emotional response of kind of why, why me? Like why today? Why me? Like, why does my laptop have to break? Just that like general, you know, annoyed at something bad happening. Whereas these days, I think with all the, you know, you're so used to these things in poker where it's not like, why you? It's just like, that's just how variance works. It's sometimes you and sometimes it's someone else. Yeah. And having that in life of just like something bad happening and just being like, oh, I guess this is my turn for the bad thing. Like you can't do anything about it it's you right. just like carry on going uh that's helped me in terms of uh i don't have yeah i guess not just these like random things that can really affect my mood negatively or way less than before i think and, and it looks like you do post a lot of some travel where you you know you've been around you look at some some really nice pictures almost look like professional photography is that a hobby of yours or and and also do you get to when you travel the world do you get them do you get to see the cities you're visiting uh and, and does your wife travel with you and does she enjoy the poker and the stops that's kind of a lot my dad actually had a couple of questions he was he does notes he was asking about the travel stuff and if you kind of get to enjoy when you go up you have you made it a point to to, to stop and, and spend some time in places because a lot of the same stops though right that's the thing it's a lot of the same stops every year but do you do a good job do you get to see the places you go yeah, I mean, I I used to kind of make it more of a point to to do little trips nearby after. So, you know, I think 
Bahamas, like after Bahamas, I went to Miami, New York, LA, different, like each year would just kind of pick an American place I hadn't seen and go to and go there for a few days after. So do it that way rather than because like you said, you're always in the same places, um, you know, kind of add trips on. Um, and then a lot of this stuff was, I had a, I think, you know, a lot of the kind of landscape photos, uh, I was taking a lot, doing a lot more photography, um, in the past, I, I would still like to, I still love it. Um, but ha- I just had like a little less time from work recently, but was able to use the time a bit. I think I had one time where I had a month or six weeks, something with not much poker. I went on a 10 day road trip around the Alps taking photos. And then from there, just flew straight to Seattle and drove from Seattle down to uh, LA. Um, Very cool. So used to kind of try and fit stuff like that in, um, you know, and like Aussie millions did New Zealand after that one year, Australia after that one year. Um, so I've tried to make it a point to actually see places, not just like go for the poker and then come back and never, you know, never see outside of the casino. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, like Lizzie now comes with me, depending on her work. She can't always, you know, it depends on like both our work schedules, but the same thing. She's not always, she doesn't come that often during the poker. We, we do the same thing, like Triton Monaco this year while everyone else was playing the PLO and short deck that I don't know how to play. She came for those three or four days and we did yeah. one day in France, one day in Monaco and one day in Italy. And like, we try and do, we try and do that where, you know, maybe she can come for a couple of days. It's not that, it's not really that fun for her to come, you know, she's coming and I'm just like playing poker 12 hours a day. Right. And, and, and how supportive is she and understanding? Does she know what, does she understand kind of the game now? Does she follow, does she play at all or just sort of, uh, just root, just, just good, good. Does she understand flips and variants too? Like, would you say she's pretty, pretty understanding of the whole game? She's, she's learning. Like we're, uh, we're both, you know, it's the same as anything, right? You just don't know, you know, a lot about your own job and not about other industries. Like I'm kind of gradually learning about what she does and she's gradually learning about poker. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's very supportive. It's quite, you realize how much there is of like, I had 10 years of you gradually desensitize yourself and get like every stage you get like used to playing for the new amounts. So when you meet someone and you're already playing high stakes, it's quite an adjustment for, uh, you know, for her to, she hasn't gone through that learning process. Right. Um, so yeah, just, uh, the same as, as I'm learning about herself, she's like gradually learning about poker, but is very, yeah, very supportive of it. That's awesome. And how many years do you think it took you to become a really good player? Do you think that you overestimated your abilities by by a good stretch when you first started playing? Is that kind of in general poker? People have an ego. I think it's just sort of typical to think that they're good. Or were you pretty humble and sort of understanding that it was a, an intricate game that would take time? Uh, I think the I think at the beginning I progressed quite quickly at the, at the smaller stakes and was kind of going through this thing of some confidence because I thought I was progressing quickly, but then you also get shot down a lot because then you're trying to move up stakes, um, quite aggressively and you keep getting, you know, kind of sent back down to the one below. Um, I think the, I think the type, the main time I probably really overestimated myself was when I start, first started playing the high stuff. Um, I think it's quite easy to be, you know, think you're like, oh, I'm, 
moving up quickly yeah. and yeah. underestimate how much experience and how many different spots and stuff, you know, that these people like Ike have played in their career right. and that you can't just come in three years in and be that good. And I thought that I was probably doing, I think at the time, it was a time I thought I was meant to be, not meant to be, but like, I thought I was classic being the high rollers of when I first started short taking them and looking back, I was probably not, but like, that's right. the process you go through. It's like, you're going to play some losing tournaments sometimes. And I think that's also, you know, the cost of wanting to move up quickly. Right. Uh, but there was definitely a time there where looking back now, I'm like, oh, I thought I was obviously not making what I was, but I thought I was like making two to 4% in some of these tournaments. And maybe looking back, I was, I was not, um, right. But in, yeah, now I think it's like hard to really, like now things seem, I think with like the solvers, it's so clear how hard the game is that it can almost be the other way sometimes that it's, I find it a little hard to have a ton of confidence, even if you're playing big games and, you know, I think I'm decent at poker, but you just spend so much time with this computer who's just infinitely better than you. Let, let, let's take the high rollers because uh, there's there's a lot of players now exactly what you're saying when you go look at Arthur you know even like your final table here right I mean there's a pretty ridiculous final table yeah, Arthur, a crazy final. I mean li literally like legend literally legend of the game UK guy been around forever Mormon online number one all time for so long l you just mentioned Lucky Chewy who you were played heads up for the 50k bracelet Arthur maybe you could argue is you know he's young and crushing live and online um Georgios, I believe his name is, who did he get second? Or I think he's he's an absolute, you know, he's been around crushing. There's literally everyone here I know, yeah. but and even the guy that won, he ended up winning, I believe. And he was maybe the only unknown or like not household name. That's a crazy final six. And that enough, how many people were in this tournament? Like, uh, what was it? I mean, it's like 4,000 bullets, I think. 4,000 bullets. Yeah. I mean, four thousand or something, almost right. Thirty-eight hundred people. Like that is absolutely out of out of this world. That 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 and is the final fix. The right. the guy who won it, like you said, he's the kind of person who was the least known. But oh, his resume, he, he, was, he was very good. Like he's good at poker, right? You know, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like he was unknown and a complete amateur. He's like a good poker player. So yeah, I mean, you can see he's played a lot, a lot of events, a lot. Wow, this is actually crazy volume. This must be online, some of this, right? Yeah, some of these are online events, but... Yeah, it's the uh, online. Well, there is something that's crazy. Online online. Online. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's almost not promising for poker. I mean, that, I, I go back and forth. Where do you... Where do you I, I want to ask you a couple more questions here. The state of poker, what do you... What's your instinct tell you online? There's obviously been a lot of chaos. There's some, you know, a lot going on. Uh, what, what do you think about the, the state of poker for live and online at this moment? Um... I guess I wouldn't want to comment too much on online because I just don't feel like I'm in that right area right now. Um, you know, I was kind of gradually moving away from it. I played a little during COVID and we had some issues with those high stakes games at the time. Um, and that was like pretty much the last time I played serious volume because I lost quite a bit in those games and then also found out there was some, you know, dicey stuff happening and it yep. doesn't leave a doesn't leave a great feeling so you know online i think i still have a lot of friends that play online i know it's like still possible to be a pro there's also a lot of crazy stuff happening uh yeah. i guess it's like 
I'm not fully sure about the future of that. I would hope that the, you know, as the ways to take advantage of stuff progress, I would hope that the security of the sites also progress and that we can like keep it, you know, as a method of playing that's fine. Lifeboat, I feel good about like, it's, I mean, it's insane right now, right? We got record breaking fields in Prague for EBT for the main event. Then this like huge world series event in Bahamas. And then this record breaking WBT, well, basically at the same time, I know that you could do both, you know, Bahamas and Vegas, but I didn't even play the main in Bahamas. I chose to play the main. You did actually have to choose a bit some events. So they're kind of all three crossed over and somehow yeah. all three are just record breaking fields. Like, yeah, uh, I think, you know, a lot of this stuff with, um, you know, over the last year, I mean, you've been part of it, right? With like the podcasts, the streaming, like the yeah. GG show stuff coming in, like, um, you know, we've seen like some very well-known chess players and like streamers from other industries come in. Um, I think a lot of this social stuff and streaming platforms has really helped the game and is helping the game. And I think that poker seems to be, I, I don't think there's issues in my mind for live poker, at least. Um, I think, yeah. you know, the games seem just bigger than ever all the time. So I, I'm not worried about live poker in terms of like where it's going. Yeah. Also the WSOP plus app, you know, that was in the Bahamas. It's just so convenient. Now you can literally get funds on multiple ways, have a balance, click a button, enter. It gives you your seat at the table. It, it's pretty wild. Like it really is. It's just like, it's made, it's all these things that optimize that help the big blind, Annie, the shot clock, these things that are making poker easier, more efficient, saving time being like you mentioned about your lifestyle, right? It's like trying to find a way where it's like normal scheduling. You can go to bed, you can do things that are, they're making it better and, and they're listening to the players. It feels like there is changes across the board uh, that are, that are better. And, you know, yeah, it, it does. I feel like the same way. I think it's also cool. Mystery bounties. There's newer type of variations, kind of, kind of making things a little more fun and finding new ways. And also obviously there's like five card now, six card. There's some other variants of poker. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think the game's stronger than ever. People love the mix of luck and skill and, and being able to, to, to play a game that they love. So it's great. My last question is game of gold, game of gold. Did you watch it? What are your thoughts? Would you be on it in the future? I I watched it like not, not like 100% of it, but I watched a decent amount of it. I think it's uh, hard to miss if you're, you know, usually I'm just like watching poker replays and kind of watching stuff that's study-based. Um, and I'm not, I don't watch a bunch of the like high stakes cash streams or anything. But this thing just like a completely new format that is interesting, I think, for most people in the game to see. I, I like to see, just like I was saying, I like to see how all this stuff's progressing with how people are marketing the game and what people are interested in who aren't in, you know, who aren't playing uh, like a specific game, I guess. A lot of people are interested in their own game, right? Like I watch replays of high stakes MTTs because that's what I want to watch and I'm interested in that for like the learning purpose of who I play yeah. against. So interesting to see these things that are trying to market to everybody in poker, not just certain groups and how they're doing it. And I was not expecting to watch much, to be honest. I'm not usually a fan of those things. I was kind of expecting to like watch half of the first episode and then yeah. bail on it. But I ended up watching like most of it and thought it was actually very well, very well done. Um, and yeah, I hope it continues. Uh, 
I I don't know whether I would be on it. That generally isn't my. I would never want to say no for anyone. If anyone wants to invite me, I would think about it. Uh, yeah. I I don't know what the terms were in terms of like how long you had to be away and right where it was and stuff like that. But uh, well, yeah, a lot of variables. But you're not, you're not out. You're not saying you wouldn't. It's a no. It's just uh, it's a consideration if that were to come your way. Matter, yeah. I mean, it looks like a fun thing to feel like a fun thing to do uh, a little a little like i'm not usually a fan of being it's one of those things where i think it's good for people who like being in the spotlight there's a lot of times where the camera is just on you right it's not even like playing a final table you have to like go in a separate room and give your thoughts and stuff uh i mean i i, I assume there's a lot of people that relate to it as well but the stuff of like having a team captain and then you having to pick people in yeah. front of them yeah just makes me anxious just as a person yeah. watching other people have to do that. Like I would just not want to choose people in order of their probability that is like their profession right? in front of them. It's like, I don't enjoy that. So there's some stuff like that where I'm like, ah, maybe not for me, but never, right. never a hundred percent more, you know? For sure. Okay. Well, listen, Ben, I, I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I've gotten to know you better. I hope everyone at home has had an enjoyment and listening they can follow you again on on more more on instagram twitter you do have but it's not much yeah. posting so instagram people can kind of follow along with your journey and hopefully we'll see more of you in the future and i really do appreciate you coming on the gg millions doing the commentary that's every tuesday 145 you were on one of the i believe it was this not not this one the week before so that was that was fun to get to yeah. pick your brain poker wise and hear got to know more about you as well and hopefully we'll have you on in the future i, I would say next time you have a you know, a big result, but it seems like every other week you're having a major score, seven figure, six figure, and hopefully that continues for you. And again, all, all I've heard is positive things about you in the community and from mutual friends. So it's good to actually get to talk with you and hope we get to uh, link up. I think I owe you a dinner from the, um, from the millions, but actually I can never keep track. So I literally just end up treating every dinner because I've, you know, you come on, take the time. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a nice dinner in the future and uh, let me know when you get to Miami and I'm sure we'll cross has and jeju and future stops as well for for poker so again appreciate the time number three soon to be number two all-time money list in the uk with 21 million plus earnings in poker pretty impressive stuff especially you've only been in the game for so long so i appreciate the time thank you very much and i will i'll be reaching out and we'll uh, we'll get together soon off uh on a on a future stop yeah sounds good to me thanks for having me on appreciate it all right everyone that is number 194 on the flow show, Ben Heath, UK crusher, legend, and not stopping anytime soon. Stephen Chidwick, the number one all-time money list earner. That's that's big, big, big task to go. He's not slowing down either, but hey, you never know. Uh, you never know, right? Poker, we, there's $20 million available scores for the, for the taking these days, so things can happen quickly, yeah. and, and I know you'll be in the mix in those events. As you said, you missed the $1 million event because you were busy final tabling a 3,800-person uh, event at the same time. So, hey, anything's possible. We wish you all the best and I will see you again very soon. Thanks again, Ben, for the time. Thank you.